Welcome to episode 94 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. I'm going to get started with my first topic. And this week, Deutsche Telekom increased its stake in T-Mobile to nearly 50%. It's actually 48 point something something percentage. And my question is, what could it mean for new 5G service delivery, especially in the enterprise? And I've been a little critical of T-Mobile in the past for being very consumer centric, but uh, we've seen quite a few announcements from T-Mobile for Business recently with their TIOT announcement and other initiatives. And my thought is, with Deutsche Telekom increasing its investment, obviously they're doing that because T-Mobile is performing well, they're executing against their 5G deployment, but I think there's also some DNA that the little, the little sibling could lean into uh, the bigger you know, company to leverage. And certainly with Deutsche Telekom based in Germany and all of the automotive 5G use cases, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for Deutsche Telekom to not only continue to increase its investment in T-Mobile, but really help T-Mobile define some additional 5G services. And certainly within the enterprise, that's where the most compelling service is gonna occur. But what are your thoughts? I think, you know, Deutsche Telekom has been um, an interesting partner for T-Mobile, right? Cause they're, they kind of um, have, have been their, um, biggest shareholder for quite some time and their share of T-Mobile US has changed over time mm-hmm. uh, both in both directions um, but I think T-Mobile um, in the US has clearly indicated uh, to Deutsche Telekom that they are a valuable uh, asset for the company and its investors and a company worth continuing to invest in. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not uh, Deutsche Telekom wants to have a majority stake in the company mm-hmm. uh, because um, they are a publicly listed company at T-Mobile US. Um, so I'm not really sure what Deutsche Telekom wants um, with T-Mobile US specifically mm-hmm. in terms of controlling stake. But I think when you look at what T-Mobile has done so far, I think Deutsche Telekom is probably not going to try to acquire more shares than they have now at this point. Um, they're probably going to just be happy with their uh, just ever so minority stake. It's inching closer and closer to that 51%, right? But uh, yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I don't know what the objective would be for uh, Deutsche Telekom to take a controlling interest in T-Mobile. And certainly a lot of this has been offloaded from SoftBank. And SoftBank is, we've talked about SoftBank in the past, they've sort of been on a Selling, you know, selling spree and investiture, you know, spree. They they were high flying for for many years, and then they they hit some bumps in the road with things like OneWeb and WeWork. But uh, it'll definitely be interesting to see how things wind out. But let's move to your first topic this week. You want to talk about Dish and carrier aggregation? Yeah. So Dish, uh, a few days ago, I think might even be almost a week ago now, but because you know when we record the podcast, sometimes stuff falls off. Um, but they recently uh, obtained permission to, um, from the FCC to do some 5G testing in Cheyenne, uh, Wyoming. And this was for uh, aggregating um, frequencies in uh, the 600 megahertz band. Um, 
and, and basically the idea is um, they are the largest holder of 600 megahertz spectrum other than T-Mobile. Um, mm. 600 megahertz spectrum um, would really allow them to uh, create a nationwide network that would have really good coverage. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, 600 megahertz would not do great for them in terms of speeds, um, but that's kind of why they would have wanted to acquire something like that, that mid-band spectrum that they were competing mm -hmm. with AT&T for. So um, the, the expectation is, is that this 600 megahertz band, um, you know, is a little bit segmented out um, and, and DISH has uh, an A block license uh, and that there's a possibility they could aggregate it with other carriers that have uh, 600 megahertz licenses as well um, to create better speeds at these lower bands, which um, you know is the biggest criticism of these lower bands, right? Because they have great coverage, but the speeds are a little bit iffy. And that's mostly because you're not able to acquire enough spectrum to actually get significant speeds. So I think um, this will um, be something that we'll see kind of shake itself out down the road. Um, no one's really been doing 600 megahertz uh, for, for aggregation. Mostly they're aggregating 600 with higher bands. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like in terms of uh, performance and coverage. Um, but in general, I think it's just a, a way for uh, DISH and other carriers to take advantage of something like a feature like carry aggregation in 5G uh, coming from 4G and um, make the most of the spectrum that they have and, and, and work towards better speeds and better coverage. Certainly that's important doing more with less. And so it'll be interesting to see how that winds out with DISH. But let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Intel. And they bought recently an open source startup called um, Anakai. Sounds like a Star Wars character. <laughs> and um, the company uh, does 5G SaaS and it's all based on open source. And uh, Anakai was a startup that came out of the Open Networking Foundation, the ONF. And I think this aligns really well with Intel's strategy. Intel is taking a very software centric strategy um, you know, if our listeners and viewers recall, we did have an executive on right around the World Congress, and Intel was talking about how software-defined networking was becoming more and more strategic for the silicon, uh, you know, provider, and, um, and certainly this is no surprise. Intel continues to want to bolster its networking capabilities, and actually, I will be in an event in Dallas in May well, where I'll be able to learn more about, you know, overall Intel strategy, and I'll probably probe them on this particular acquisition. I'm not sure if you caught this news, Anshul, but any thoughts? Yeah, is that the big 5G event you're heading, uh, attending? No, it's actually, it's an Intel event um, that they are uh, sponsoring at the Gaylord. Um, at oh, the Prime Intel on, I think, or Intel Vision? Intel Vision. Intel Vision, yeah. And yeah, you and I will be at an yeah, we'll be at another event, but I was invited to attend the very last day. So I'm looking forward to that after uh, we spend some time together in Phoenix. Yeah, um, I think I think when you look at where Intel sits in the value chain, um, them acquiring somebody like this, um, I think is a way for them to offer a more complete solution. Um, because I think right now, you know, they're, they're basically providing the, the semiconductors 
um, and some of the software, right? But ultimately, there's still there's still a lot of other players that sit on top of them, and I think they might want to be a little bit more um, involved and more integrated, um, and that's that's why I think um, you should kind of expect them to continue to expand in this area, mm-hmm. um, and trying to go more vertical. Um, even though I think Intel is much more of a horizontal play, um, this is I think a combination of horizontal and vertical in the sense that vertical by helping to simplify the stack but horizontal by not really trying to um, go with one specific player and enable everybody to have access to this yeah private 5g private cellular networking is hot these days i talk about it quite a bit i write about it quite a bit so it's not surprising to see intel adding this capability to its portfolio. They were sort of mum about it. There weren't a lot of details around, you know, the purchase price and that sort of thing, but it was a private company. So it doesn't, you know, require the scrutiny of uh, the acquisition of a public company and FTC approval and all of that. But with that said, let's move to your second topic this week. You want to talk about AT&T and the possibility of their exploring 6G, right? Yes, actually. So you're going to find this interesting. Uh, the AT&T, the AT&T, AT&T, the company AT&T, uh, is asking the FCC for two two-year experimental licenses in your backyard, Austin, Texas, oh, wow. um, used to demonstrate the functionality and capabilities of 5G advanced and 6G wireless systems. Um, so the specific licenses are in the sub-terahertz band. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be 95 gigahertz to three terahertz. Uh, the FCC made the sub terahertz available band available in March of 2019. Um, so they are specifically asking for four, 5.9 gigahertz of 8.4 gigahertz, which is uh, very much a 5G advanced band. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10.7 gigahertz to 15.35 gigahertz, which is, uh, I think, what a lot of people are expecting to be that 12 gigahertz band that may or may not yeah. make it into 5G. And then we've got the big bubba at 92 gigahertz to 100 gigahertz, which um, you know isn't really anything anyone is using right now no. um, and, w- and would behave more like a, a 60 gigahertz unlicensed millimeter wave. Mm-hmm. Um, but this uh, will likely be done at the University of Texas Austin 6G Research Center. Hook um, of horns, my alma mater. Which is supported by AT&T and other players like Samsung and Qualcomm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, there's lots of opportunities uh, for testing and experimentation in these higher bands. I believe that uh, there needs to be a lot of research in these higher bands um, and a lot of testing. And I'm glad to see that, you know, AT&T is uh, taking it seriously and working with, you know, um, you know, educational institutions um, doing lots of research and academic work. And uh, honestly, I think uh, we shouldn't even really consider terahertz until we've figured out millimeter wave. Um, mm-hmm. Because millimeter wave um, is going to be the stepping stone to terahertz, I believe, uh, because terahertz is going to operate and behave very similarly to millimeter wave. Right. Um, but, you know, with every bounce on millimeter wave, you lose a couple hundred megahertz megabits. 
if you're doing terahertz and you're doing terabits, then you can still get a few bounces and still get a few gigabits per second. So we'll mm -hmm. see what actually ends up happening, but I think it's important for millimeter rate to mature, um, for terahertz to succeed. But I also believe that terahertz needs to have its, its own path for, for research and, and evaluation. Yeah, I agree. And I've spent time, so I went to the University of Texas, I'm a proud Longhorn, and I've actually spent time at that lab. I wrote a Forbes article a few years ago. It sounds like it's evolved a little bit. And um, that that's exciting. And I totally agree with you. I mean, there's going to be so much that um, the infrastructure providers and the carriers are going to learn with millimeter wave. We've already got companies like Qualcomm, JMA Wireless, and others, um, Ovandi as well, that are that are assisting with some of the propagation challenges there. But I agree with you. There's still a lot to be learned with millimeter wave. We've got to figure that out. That is absolutely a stepping stone to ter uh, terahertz, you know, and we've talked about that before. That's been our assumption around 6G. And so I applaud, I applaud AT&T for getting out in front of it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I think uh, over time, you and I are going to be afforded an opportunity to spend more time with AT&T. I mentioned on the last podcast, I spent time in New Orleans with Scott Mayer. And um, I believe uh, you and I will both have further opportunities and, and hopefully be able to tour that lab at UT Austin in the near term, especially with the big 5G event that's coming up in May that I believe you're gonna be attending with me. So, but with that, let me move to my third and final topic. And I found this really interesting. So there's an Australian utility that is deploying 5G drones for um, the serviceability of its power grid. And so I start thinking, you know, what are the benefits and can it serve as a model for the rest of the world? And the benefits are quite simple. You no longer have to roll a truck to do inspections. You can use drones, you can use video capabilities, you can use AI and that sort of thing uh, to be very precise and surgical with respect to determining issues. The company is Endeavor Energy. And what I also really found you know, interesting about this is that it was completely funded by uh, the 5G Innovation Initiative program in Australia. And what, what that initiative has done, it's dedicated nearly $15 million to support 19 projects across Australia. And they range from uh, agriculture, construction, manufacturing, transport, education, obviously energy. And so I think this is a great model that could be very well adopted in other parts of the world. What are your thoughts? So I did see this article oh, in cool. my research for this week's topics. Uh, I'm glad that I didn't try to pick it before you or after <laughs> you. Um, <clears throat> I do think it's interesting that the Australian government is funding it. Um, I think that it's really interesting because it's helping them to maintain more than 60,000 kilometers of uh, power lines and 32,000 yeah. substations. And anybody who knows anything about Australia, I don't know if you've ever been, but um, the entire country lives on the very edges of the country. So like, mm -hmm. something like 80, 80 plus percent of the country lives on the two coasts. Okay. Um, and the rest of the country is about the same size as the United States. Right. So there's this great wide expanse and vast um, infrastructure that needs to be built um, because you need to get the power across the country. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, having somebody to maintain that as a physical human being is, 
is 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 quite the uh, task. Sure. Um, and I think because of that, um, it's the automation is the only way to go. And automating this with drones um, is a huge opportunity. I'll add that this um, this project was a joint partnership with the Australian uh, operator Optus okay. and AWS, um, which I think is the you know providing some of the uh, the cloud infrastructure to make this possible. Right. And apparently, there's also a video analytics developer called Unleash Live, who is mm -hmm. also helping to produce this solution for Endeavor Energy. Um, so I think it's really interesting, and I think it's going to be a model potentially for other deployments across the world. I live in a place where, where fires are a big deal. Um, so I think, you know, having a, a utility that can constantly monitor and maintain its power lines is extremely important. I know it's yeah. a problem in Australia as well, and even parts of Northern California. I mean, a large chunk of the West, right? Um, so I think this is a good opportunity for operators, and we know that they're already using it for their own infrastructure. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think infrastructure is going to be probably one of the biggest applications for some of these 5G drones. Yeah, and the video analytics become very critical and key as well. So a really, really compelling use case that really highlights the capability of 5G. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. And there's news from the Linux Foundation and Google Cloud Platform, right? Yeah, so the Linux Foundation and Google Cloud have launched this um, platform, I guess you could call it. It's, it's an open source project. Yeah. Um, and it's called uh, Nefio. Um, and, and basically, it's, uh, it's, it's a partnership between a bunch of carriers and infrastructure vendors. Um, I'll read you there the Nef Nefio's mission. Uh, it says Nefio's goal is to deliver carrier-grade, simple, open, Kubernetes-based, cloud-native, intent automation, and common automation templates that materially simplify deployment or simplify the deployment and management of multi-vendor cloud infrastructure and network functions across large-scale edge deployments. That is one sentence. Uh, Nefio <laughs> enables faster onboarding of network functions to production, including provisioning of underlying cloud infrastructure with a true cloud native approach and reduces costs of adoption of cloud and network infrastructure. So that's two sentences. Um, <laughs> but I think it's I quite clear that. that this is a edge orchestration solution. Yep. Um, and they've got three big groups of people that are involved right now. They're the telcos, the cloud providers, and network function vendors. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a, a list of participating organizations. I'm going to rattle these off really quickly, but I've got the logos in front of me. We've got Airtel, which is a carrier. We've got Bell. We've got Elisa. We've got Equinix. We've got Geo. We've got Orange. We've got Rakuten. We've got Tim. We've got Telus. Then we've got Virgin Media O2. We've got Wintray. We've got Vapor, Arm, Casa Systems, F5, Ericsson, Google Cloud, of course, Intel, Juniper Networks, Mavenir, Nokia, Parallel Wireless, and VMware. That is the list, comprehensively so. Um, I think I think it's a pretty good list. Uh, mm -hmm. But to some people's point that have already been reporting on this, no U.S. operators. So yeah. um, I think this is going to be Google's play to strengthen their edge cloud outside of the U.S. 
to mm-hmm. increase their potential influence within the U.S. Because I think right now, when you look at their their edge play today, uh, they are weak compared to Azure and yeah. uh, AWS. They and are. I think this might be their strategy to, um, you know, at least on a global scale, do better and potentially even in the U.S. by using, you know, uh, operators outside the U.S. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. This is Google's opportunity to level up uh, from a competitive standpoint with AWS and Azure that have made significant investments in edge enablement. Um, I'm also impressed with the initial list of participating companies. I work very closely with the Linux Foundation and I'm very familiar with all the different working groups. Um, I've always been a very solid proponent of open source even before OpenRAN became cool. And uh, this, is, this is an impressive, just out of the block, this is an impressive set of companies that are participating. I would expect that over time, it will expand to include US carriers, but uh, good stuff. And what we should do too, Anshul, is include a link to this because I think our viewers and listeners would probably want to double click into this. But it's been another great yeah. podcast this week, my friend. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. And I'll include the uh, link to this uh, open source project in the description on our on our podcast page as awesome. well as on our on our Twitter feed. So uh, head on over there if you're listening or watching. Um, but yeah, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Tontak and I'm at Anshel Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.